Good morning. Yeah, you ought to clap for that. Were you just clapping for me because I stood up? Was that it? Nah, you don't clap for me. Hey, good morning. My name is Pastor Dale. And I want to give a shout out first to the kids because kids are usually in our kids' programs. A lot of them are this morning. We're still running those. But a lot of kids are here listening to me for the first time and they don't get in here every week. So, you know, I have an Easter tradition. It's not new, but it's, I like it. And here's the deal. I want to make a deal with the kids. First thing you know where they are. If the kids are here, when I count to three, I want you to go, woo! Okay, ready? Kids, are you ready? You want to practice that? Woo! Okay, anyway, anyway. Okay, one, two, three. Oh, that was weak. How disappointing. Come on now. Come on. Let's go. One, two, three. Okay, anyone under 30, help them out. One, two, three. Oh, there you go. Okay, good. Here's the deal, kids. Here's the deal. I've got an outline for big people. Big people take notes on sermons. They should, but they don't. Okay, but here's the deal. You are going to take a pen, take a pencil right now from your parents, and and you're going to listen to me, and everything I talk about, draw at least four pictures, because I think kids learn better than adults. Here's the deal. Don't tell your parents I said that, okay? But draw four pictures of what I'm talking about, and if you do, you give it to your parents later, and I guarantee you, it magically turns into a coupon for candy today only. And if that doesn't happen, you come and tell me next week and I will give it to you personally, okay? I'm not talking carrots or celery, I'm talking candy. All right, is that a deal? Kids, say woo. Woo! Okay, here we go. Here we go. Pray with me as we go. Welcome to Seacoast. Father God, thank you. We love you a lot. We thank you for the resurrection. But Father, I do pray today that in the next few minutes that we could... uh, Grow to understand it better. Grow to appreciate it better. Grow to understand the impact it should have on our lives uh, better. So we thank you for this uh, wonderful day. Thanks for the sun being out. Thanks for we can just celebrate a, uh, your life and your resurrection today in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're new to Seacoast, we love to study the Bible. That's what we do. We think the Bible is smarter than us, and that's why we listen to it. We think it's God's revelation to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, why am I going there? Here's why I'm going there. You know, Christians around the world today celebrate one big theme, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the question I want to ask this morning and kind of explore with you is this. Why? You say, well, Dale, of course we should celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I mean, good grief. I mean, you're a pastor. You should know it's the big event. But seriously, I want to go one level deeper with you and challenge that thought and say, why? Why is the resurrection the big event today as opposed to the crucifixion? A lot of you uh, men and women are kind of dressed up today. You're looking nice, okay? You're looking nice. And a lot of times if you put on some jewelry, a very common thing for followers of Jesus, like myself, my wife, will put on some jewelry, and a lot of times it's in the shape of what? A cross. Why don't we wear like little empty tombs? Or at least maybe little gold nuggets for the stone that rolled away. Um that would be more expensive. So for, as a man, I'm glad we don't. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. The smaller the gold, the better, all right? But the reality is we don't wear uh, empty tombs. We wear crosses, and that's a good idea. I'm not knocking getting rid of the cross. What happened on the cross is very significant, but I want to say today, why is the resurrection 
even more important. If someone asked you, did it really need to happen? How would you explain it? After all, let me play this out a little bit. Jesus uh, comes as God in flesh. He lives a sinless life and and Jesus uh, goes to the cross. He dies on our, on, in our place for our sins. That all still happens. He cries out in the Easter story, in the Christmas, I mean, in the, not Christmas, it's not Christmas, in the cr- crucifixion story, Jesus cries out. He says, uh, he says I, you know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusts God. He forgives the thief on the cross. He does all that good stuff. He dies for your sin. And then he says, and then he says it is finished. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies. Why not just let his spirit go on up to heaven? Why was it important for him to die publicly, be seen by everyone doing it, be buried, and then on Sunday morning, as he claimed, come out of the grave with a spiritual body that people could see, touch, but yet he could walk through that wall without opening the door. Wow. Why is that so important? I believe it is important. You can guess that. But why? I think there are four reasons, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the greatest passage in the Bible that unpacks not only the fact that resurrection is important, but it answers the why and the so what. Today I want to talk to you about the why and the so what of the resurrection. Got that? So that's where we're going. So kids, if you want to start drawing pictures, here's a good suggestion. Put a big question mark. I'll count that as one picture. The question is, why? All right? Father, teach us from your word. Thanks for it. Thanks that we can celebrate it together. And we ask you to teach us so it changes us in Christ's name. Amen. Changes four things. Here they are. I'm going to give them to you quick. Number one, it changes everything about God if Jesus rose from the dead. Now, why is that? I think it's because if Jesus stays in the tomb, God is just a guess. That's the way I like to say it. God is just a guess. God is still a mystery. In fact, here it is, and I'll give you a lot of scripture on the screens this morning to help you out since it's Easter. Normally, I want you to be in the Word and looking with me, but I'll give it to you both ways today. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 15. Pick it up in verse 12. Verse 12, he says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here's the implication, then our preaching is vain or empty, and your faith is also vain or empty. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God. We're not telling the truth about God. We're false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ. And if he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Your faith is worthless. He says what you believe about God is worthless. You see, Jesus wasn't the first man to show up and claim to be a Messiah. Jesus wasn't the first man to show up and claim to have truth with a capital T about God and about heaven and hell and God and eternity and life and love. Jesus was not the first guy to show up and be a martyr and to give his life for his beliefs. He's not the first religious guru in religious history. So the, 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 the thing I want you to realize is this. 
if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he's one more great moral example of how to live. And in fact, he makes it harder for me to go to heaven because I realize, wow, maybe God wants me to be like that. So if I need to, to be like Jesus, he just raised the bar for me. So if Jesus did not come out of the grave as he said he would do and, and conquer death with his resurrection, he's one more great moral example in history, but he's not God. Therefore, God is still a guess. We're just guessing about God like other religions guess about God or other philosophers guess and speculate. I wonder what God is like. But I don't know about you, but I've never seen him. Anybody in the room seen him? If you have, tell me about it later. If Jesus is risen, though, the facts on God are out. The facts about God are now public. You can see him, you can understand him, you can hear his heart and his message, because if Jesus was indeed who he said he was, when he says that he is God, he's the God of heaven who came and took on a human body and lived among us so that we could get God, we could understand God. And there's a great verse in the New Testament. The story is in Matthew chapter 12. You can look that up this week. That's where they, some skeptics that didn't believe in Jesus challenged his teaching when he was beginning to claim that he was like God. And, uh, and the skeptics, the religious skeptics, didn't believe him. And they said, well, give us a miracle. Now, the funny thing about this story, you can read it on your own this week, is that the reason they asked him that was he had just done a miracle. He had, he had just taken a man who was blind and mute, could not speak, could not see, and he healed him publicly in front of everyone, and, and it freaked everybody out. And the, the religious leaders, they said, whoa, wow, what a miracle. We believe in you. you know, and, and the religious leaders said, whoa, 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 time out. You know, maybe he's demonic. Maybe he's from the, the bad side, okay, not the good side. You know, so they, 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 they said, give us a miracle or a sign. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 38, he said, okay, I'll give you only one miracle or sign that will ultimately prove who I am. And that is, I will be buried I will be dead, I will, and I will rise from the dead, just like Jonah came out alive from the belly of the great fish. So Jesus pointed to the resurrection as the ultimate proof that he was who he claimed to be and that what he taught about God could be trusted. Because without him, God is just a guess. But with him, risen from the dead, God is alive and the facts are out. John 1.18 says this, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, or Jesus, the only begotten God, He has explained Him to us. Because now we can read about, hear about, listen to the words, hear the heart of God through Jesus Christ. So the facts about God change if Jesus rose from the dead. Now that changes everything else. It changes three more things that I'll hit even more quickly. Here they are. Here's how you can remember them. There are three things that, about my life that are I can't get away from. Uh, my life breaks into three pieces. My past, my present, my future. Anybody understand that? Yeah, anybody else have a fourth dimension? I think that's, that's life, isn't it? We all have a past, we have a present, and we have a future. We have a past where we say, wow, I've really messed up. Can I receive forgiveness? We have a present where we say, wow, I, I still need help. That's my present need. And then we have a future need. What happens what really happens after I die? And all of us face those three questions. We have a past, we have a present, we have a future need. I believe the resurrection changes all three. Here they are. It changes my past. Concerning my past, if Jesus is in the tomb, my sins are still my problem. 
1 Corinthians 15, 16 and 17 says this. I already read part of it to you. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. What's it mean to be still in my sins? You know, because, yeah, Jesus has been raised from the dead. I still sin. Is that a revelation? Probably not. Not for my wife, not for my son who's here. Or my daughter-in-law, you know, for my family, even my granddaughter, you know, you know, she probably thinks Papa doesn't sin. But the rest of them know I do. So the reality is, don't tell her, but the reality is God is holy and I'm not. God is holy and I'm not. And, and, and that means I am in my sin. In other words, my state before God is my sins are my problem. I exist. My sins are still there, separating me from God, condemning me by my sin before a holy God. That's not insignificant. That's a bad deal. If Jesus didn't do what he said he could do, then I've got trouble. Now, some of you may be thinking, yeah, but Dale, you know, my sins are still there, but, you know, I'm a lot better than other people. You know, I know a lot of people who live cruddier lives than I live. Amen? How many of you know someone worse than you? Raise your hand. How many of you are the worst person you know in life? Raise your hand. Okay, only one. Okay, we have a recovery group for you. But anyway, here we go. See, all of us sin, and the Bible says God is holy, and therefore, how many sins did it take to separate man from God in in Adam and Eve? How many? One. Was it like a major sin? Uh, Let's call it uh, murder, adultery, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know. being a politician, I mean, what, I mean, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Politicians are wonderful if they are good. But anyway, well, it, it wasn't murder. It wasn't adultery. It was eating something God said not to eat. Now, that's a pretty entry-level sin in my book. Right? Okay, so the reality is sin is sin. So uh, no matter how good you are, bad you are, compared to other people, you still got a problem you can't solve. You are in your sin. It's like, if the, it's like if this building represented my sin and I was trying to jump over it, okay? I, want, I need to jump over the building. Um, what if three different people tried to jump this building? I mean, for example, I got, I got a young man on the front row here. Uh, what's your name? Alex. Alex. Alex, you look pretty athletic. Are you pretty athletic? You can run pretty fast. Okay, Alex, how high do you think you can jump? Could you jump over this building? Probably not. You're still thinking you could. So you're saying there's a chance. Okay, well, I'm thinking you probably won't. But okay, so if Alex runs to the building and jumps as high as he can jump, you know, he, what happens to Alex? Smacks into the wall, right? Okay, he bounces off the wall and he says, whoa, that hurt. Okay, so then what if Pastor Dale decides, because I'm a little bigger than he is, and I start running and I try to jump as high as I could jump. Okay, that's still pretty weak, right? You know, maybe I get up to window level and I smack into the wall and it hurts. So what if the best high jumper in the history of humanity does it? What if Javier, I looked this up, Javier Sotomayor, let's go back to 1993 because he still to this day holds the world record in the high jump. Now, anybody know how high that is? How high did the best jumper in the world ever jump? What? What? 18 feet? No, this is not the pole vault. This is the high jump. Anyone else? Eight feet. Who said eight feet? You're close. You're you're cheating him a little bit. It's eight foot and one quarter inch. Yeah, in world records, you get real precise, right? 
Eight foot and a quarter inch is the world record set in 1993, and it's the oldest track and field record on history because no one's outdone it even since 1993. He still holds the world record. So if Javier shows up and he says, I'm the world record holder, I can do it. What happens to him when he runs at the building, full steam, launches into the air, what happens? He smacks into the building, and it hurts. Just like I hurt, and just like Alex hurts. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the very best or the very worst of sinners. We all, if we are in our sins, you got a problem. What if Jesus rose from the dead? He says, if I rose from the dead, I can forgive your sins. I died on the cross for your sins. And therefore, you can know that you're forgiven. If he's risen, then I can know that I'm forgiven. Romans chapter 4, verse 21 and following says this, being fully assured, notice that, I like that phrase, being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able also to perform. He who was delivered over or crucified because of my sin or transgression, he was raised for my justification. He was raised from the dead that I might be justified. It's a big religious word, but here's what it means in common everyday language. It means just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. Because Jesus Christ takes all of the guilt of all of my sin and yours on the cross. And as the sinless sacrifice, God the Father said, you die on the cross as their sacrifice. That's why he's nicknamed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow, he's my substitute. He pays my penalty on the cross. And then he says, if you believe in me, put your trust in me as your Savior, I will promise you can be fully assured that I will forgive your sin. On the cross, it's only a promise. With the resurrection, it's guaranteed. Because the resurrection was the visible, tangible proof that Jesus really accomplished uh, conquering death. Not only for himself, but for us. If Jesus just kind of on the cross says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he just kind of whoosh, goes up to heaven, you know, bodies buried. I mean, you know, if, if God does it that way, we have no way of knowing whether Jesus was the real thing or not. We have no way of knowing whether I should trust him with my sins. But if he's risen, then there's reason to trust him. It changes everything about God, the resurrection. It changes everything about my sins and my past and knowing that I need forgiveness like you do if the resurrection occurred. Number three, it changes my present. I'll touch this one more briefly. You see, if Jesus is in the tomb, my past defines me. I am who I am. You know, whatever has shaped me, my past, my parents, my performance in life, you know, I am who I am and, I, and, 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 and it's up to me to try to change me. And other than that, I'm kind of stuck. But I love what the Apostle Paul says. In verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 15, he describes himself as a person that, he says, it's really strange that I have become a follower of Jesus because I'm, I'm the guy that was trying to kill Christians. I'm the guy that was trying to snuff out the movement of Christianity. So Jesus says, I and mean, Paul says, it's strange that I came to faith. Wow. And then he tells us why. 
because he says, look, if Jesus is not in the tomb, if he is risen, then God's grace has, can redefine me. It can make me a new person. 1 Corinthians 15.10 is my favorite verse in today's passage. It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. Yes, I labor. In other words, I work at my faith. Yet it's not I, but the grace of God within me. He says, I'm saved by God's grace. It's a free gift. I don't earn it. It's a free gift from God. I am saved by God's grace and I'm being changed. And even my, the change in my life is a work of God's grace. Wow. That gives me hope. That gives me hope. Not just for my past being forgiven, but for my present being changed. But there's one more, and I want to get to it. There's one more. Here's the favorite part of the message for me. It affects not just my God, my past, my present. It affects my future. You see, if Jesus is in the tomb, and if there's no resurrection from the dead, there's no proof that there's any life beyond this grave. What it really means is I only go around once in life, so I should just, as uh, I don't know if it was Budweiser or Miller said years ago, grab for what? Can you know it? You know all the what? Gusto you can get. Yeah, you only go around once in life, so grab for all the gusto you can get. You see, that is all you have to look forward to. If you're just a little more evolved human animal and you don't have a spirit that has an eternal nature, in other words, if you're not a spiritual being, but just, a, just another creature, you know, just a, you know, a little bit up the food chain of the others, then you live, you die, you go back to the dirt, and you, your future is dirt. You become very fertile dirt. You know? Therefore, your philosophy of life should be I'm just going to try to have all the joy and fun I can have because there's nothing beyond this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 puts it this way. Look at verse 18. It says, Now, those of us who have died in Christ, if Jesus is not risen, then we've perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, if we've put our hope in Christ and Christ helps us with this life only but not the next life, then um, we bought into a lie and people should feel sorry for us. We should be pitied. Look at verse 32. He talks about how this affects our, our worldview. He says, if the dead are not raised, verse 32, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. That's it. See, we're here today to tell you there's more to life than this side of the grave. And Jesus said, I'm going to be buried. I'll die. I'll be buried. I'll rise from the dead so that you see what your future looks like. If Jesus is in the tomb, you only go around once in life. If Jesus is risen, then I can know that I have an eternal life that is glorious to look forward to. See, that's a whole new deal. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says this. Now, Christ has been raised from the dead, so let's clarify that. And he is the first fruits of those who have died or who have fallen asleep. It's a metaphor in Scripture for Christians dying. They're described as falling asleep. For since by 
one man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam we all die, so also now in Christ all will be made alive. And it describes it down in verse 42. I love this. I love verse 42. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Our bodies are, are buried or sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. What that's saying is this, is the body of Jesus resurrected is our glimpse at what your eternity will be like. That you will not be Casper the friendly ghost or any other ghost or, or winged creature floating around the clouds. The Bible describes your eternity in Christ as having a resurrected spiritual body that someday God will bring forth miraculously to be united with your, your, your soul that never dies because if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment that your body dies, your soul doesn't die for even a moment. It, it, it just transfers residence to the presence of God and to heaven. But then someday you'll also receive this thing called a resurrected body. This kind of freaks me out almost, but it's really cool. You know, to imagine me perfected in my body. Now, none of you have seen the perfect Dale. You know, Becky married him, you know, yeah. You know, at age 20, man, I was hot. I was good, you know. I had hair. I had everything, you know. You know, but, you know, but no, even better than that, you know. But the reality is whatever your perfected form is, you're going to be in that in a resurrected, eternal body that never gets sick, never dies, never even has pain. And like Jesus' resurrected body, you can be in one place one time and say, I think I'll go to L.A., I'm there. You know, you can walk through that wall, no need for doors, but yet you can be touched and you can be recognized by people and, and relate and you have a life. You have an active, joyful, God-honoring, sinless life forever. Now, if that doesn't sound cool, you don't know what cool is. I think that's incredible. Death is ugly. Every time I see it, I'm reminded of that. But it is not our destiny. We have a destiny in Jesus Christ of a glorious, eternal state in which we enjoy our loved ones who have trusted Him forever and ever. We avoid this awful, awful place called hell, which is also talked about by the same Jesus. We have hope for eternal life. That is my destiny. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead to prove that what he did on the cross really worked, it changes everything about my past. I know I'm forgiven. I don't have to hope God forgives me. I can know that I'm forgiven, not because I earned it or I'm nice enough, but because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. And I've trusted him. My present has hope because I know Jesus Christ is alive. And if he's alive, he says he'll send his spirit to be with me and even live in me. And that helps Dale become a better man. So if you want to be dealing with whatever you struggle with, the living Christ can help you. The dead one can't. But Christ is alive for my present needs. 
my past forgiveness, and my future hope in heaven. That's incredible. Sometimes kids say things better than adults. All the kids should have said amen. (laughs) Alex, amen? Amen. I heard it. I like Alex. Here's a 10-year-old little boy that knew that leukemia was going to win its battle for his life. And he wrote this poem with his mom's help and to be read at his own funeral. Here's what a 10-year-old dying of leukemia wrote. Don't stand beside my grave and weep. I wasn't scared. I fell asleep. I left my body that for years imprisoned me and caused me tears. I'm in a place of constant joy. No more pain for this small boy. Now I'm free to run and play. I find new riches every day. See, I'm with God forevermore. He welcomed me at heaven's door. Because I trusted in his son and my salvation then was won. When Jesus died upon that tree, he died to pardon you and me. All I had to do was say, dear God, please take my sin away. I'm just a little boy. I'm just a little boy, but know that what the Bible says is so. I hope that someday you will be in heaven with God and Christ and me. Yes, I was sick. My body died, but not the me that lived inside. I went to heaven to be with God, but that's just my shell beneath the sod. You can mourn for others dead, those truly lost, but like I said, don't stand beside my grave and cry, because I'm not there. I didn't die. That's good. If you've never trusted Christ like that little boy, then I'd encourage you to do it. If you have, take a moment in prayer right now and thank God that it's all true, that your past, your present, your future is all different because Christ rose from the dead and died on the cross for you. If you've never done that and you are here at church because it's Easter and mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whatever encouraged you to come and or, or maybe it's just your tradition, maybe Make Easter more than a tradition. Make it your life, your Savior, your hope. Trust Christ today. Join us next week for the Hunger Games series. But it begins with saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you, not myself. I know I can't jump this building no matter how well I train. I just smack into it. But Jesus takes down the building. See, Jesus doesn't just jump the bar. Jesus takes down the bar, throws it away, and says, you walk with me, let's go meet your heavenly Father. If you've never done that, pray with me now, and then we'll worship. Father God, thank you for the life you've given us in Christ. Thank you for the resurrection that proves that our faith is real. We pause this Easter to reaffirm that, to say again, thank you, Lord, for coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in my place on the cross. And if you've never prayed this prayer, pray it with me now under your breath and make it your own today. And say, Lord Jesus, I choose you. I choose to trust in you, put my faith in you. And I thank you 
that you died for me and you rose from the dead, I believe and I choose to follow you the rest of my life. In Christ's name, amen.